And good morning to the rest of you. Good morning. Hope you're all having a great morning. That's what we need more of that enthusiasm. Exactly. That's right. Yes, sir. My favorite color is green and wet. That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, take your Bibles and uh, turn to the to the book of Acts. Your, your Bibles are probably getting close to where they'll just fall open to, to Acts. If not, it will before we're done. So at any rate, maybe just to review for a moment, we're going to be in chapter 7 and we're probably not going to read the chapters much. We're going to work our way through it. Um, but we'll bring ourselves up to speed. <clears throat> Last week in chapter 6, there was actually a distraction or a problem that occurred. There were some things going on in the church. Brand new church, by the way. It's only a couple of months old. Maybe, maybe, maybe a few more months. But nonetheless, very, very young in its, in its age, shall we say. And it's already tens of thousands. I mean, I don't know if you can imagine that. But all of a sudden, I don't know. What's the population in Butte? What is it? Okay, so let's, let's just round it off. 30,000. Two months before there was a butte, there was nothing. The day of Pentecost comes, let's just call it three months, four months at the most, poof, you have butte. And it's Christians. That's strange in itself is saying that. that. That's an inside deal. I didn't think about it until I said it. Butte is not necessarily a Christian community, shall we say. But nonetheless, for just sake of numbers, that's what's took place. That's crazy. Taking place is more, more proper. But at any rate, this is crazy, the growth that's taking place. Now, it's all in Jerusalem. We've, we've said numerous times that from the surrounding areas had come to Jerusalem for this feast, for this feast of Pentecost. It's a way to gather. And as a result of that day where literally the Holy Spirit came on those 120 believers, it started from those 120, gathered in a room praying, and the Holy Spirit comes on them Every single one of them. And they're speaking in tongues about the wonderful works of God in a language of which those that would have come from outside heard in their own language. Whoa. That's the beginning. And now you have tens of thousands. And no doubt you're going to have maybe a problem or two. We don't have any problems in this church whatsoever. That was a joke, by the way. <laughs> Nobody's laughing. Because you know what? That's the way churches are. They're made up of humans, and they're, they're, yes, they're Christ's body, but they're problems. There's distractions. And distraction is even a word I would maybe use more prevalently than problems. A distraction is, and, and in this case, what was happening was the outside Hellenistic Jews, or those that would have been Jews that would have been outside of Jerusalem, their widows were not being taken properly care of, in the sense of probably even dispersing food or money necessary for their needs. And there was a murmuring. Uh, when there's murmuring or whining, that's another, that's the Bible's way of saying whining, <laughs> which parents love in young children. It's a, it's a, it's, I'm sure God does too. <laughs> Acting as our father, right? I was, there was a quote that, uh, there was a man, I was just thinking of it now, but <clears throat> Tim Russert, which has actually passed away, he was a newscaster for one of the networks. And he had a, he has a quote <laughs> on Father's Day. He says, um, the older I get, the smarter my father seems to be. <laughs> Isn't that true? I would even have to say that on a spiritual level, the longer we're Christians, the smarter our father in heaven is. 
the word makes more sense. It's, the truth is never more clear as each, age, each day that we focus on him. That's really good words, literally. But here we are. So they're getting to know their father. And there's this problem, this distraction. And the apostles, it can't, well, they were the ones to bring the problem too. Let's, let's be honest. They were where we want to bring a distraction to. They're in charge. They're the leaders. There's, Jesus Christ literally based as these are the foundation players for the beginning of the church. Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Remember Peter said that in Matthew chapter 16. On that truth, on that rock, literally, not Peter the rock, it was a double play on words. On that truth, Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, on that truth, the church will begin. And it has. It's literally, he has been the Messiah that's unfolded now to those that will receive and to hear him. And what would Satan want to do more than anything? To have the apostles stop studying the Word of God, stop teaching the Word of God, stop praying, and get involved in just taking care of tables. Now, there's nothing in the world wrong with it. The distraction or the problem that's arisen. It needs to be taken care of. But never, never, never should the teachers move away from teaching the Word of God, studying the Word of God, praying over the people and over the Word of God. That is first and foremost in any church's sense of direction of any kind. Distractions. Well, interestingly enough, God raises up through this distraction. We would call a problem, a trial, whatever you want to call uh, the apostles go back to the team, the group, and they said, I'll tell you what, this needs to be taken care of, but we would like you to go inside the, very, the whole entourage of the church, and you find us, the apostles, seven men that are of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit. That's a great start, isn't it? That's, that's like getting parameters, right? And sure enough, they did. They found seven men that were of good reputation. They were outstanding in the community. They were people that people looked up to, but they were full of the Holy Spirit. Okay? And they were ready to serve. Well, one of those is the man by the name of Stephen. And interestingly enough, of all of the seven, even though the Hellenistic Jews, those that would have been outside of the, the city of Jerusalem, would still have been, I would have to say, a minority. Guess who was going to be doing the serving of this, of distributing food and money, was every one of those seven names were Greek. Every single one of those were accepted to do God's work as a servant for those that risen with, 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 with trials or troubles. Well, this one Stephen, he is a standout. And I'm just saying this. This is what we want to, uh, before we, we're going to go to prayer here in a moment. But it's, it's interesting that God used that problem, that distraction, to raise up a man that literally had a very short life from this point on. He probably hadn't known Christ any longer than any of that else, probably just four months. His sermon here is absolutely over-the-top magnificent. The man knows the Old Testament inside out. It's amazing what he's able to launch to this, the Sanhedrin. Do you know what? This is the third sermon now that we know of inside the halls of the Sanhedrin. It was like if you would have knocked on the door of the Sanhedrin, I want to talk to you about Jesus. You would have had the door slammed in your face hard. And you know what? By just God's using persecution and all of these trials that are coming, they are inside the Sanhedrin witnessing to the Supreme Court of Israel. That's a miracle. And here you have this man. This, just because of the situation that arose, a problem, a distraction, he's risen up beyond the fact of serving, but he's also very active in the sense of preaching and witnessing. We found last week that he was actually turned in, if you will, from the synagogue of the Libertines or from the synagogue of the freedmen. And we talked just briefly that in 63, 8, 8, 63 B.C., uh, Pompey, a Roman general, actually took a bunch of Jews and sold them into slavery. 
And through the course of time, they and their families had returned back to Jerusalem. And so why wouldn't you go to the church of the freedmen? There was something surrounding that. There, was, there would have been a sense of continuity. And see, for, for uh, Stephen to come and minister there makes great sense. He's not from Jerusalem either. His key is to witness to those that are outside the region that would still be finding Jesus Christ. That's his whole purpose. That's his whole focus. Well, he was drug off to the Supreme Court. That's where we are in chapter 7. But we go any further, let's just pause for prayer. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for the Word of God and the historicity we have to just describe for us events that literally physically took place. The, the growth of the church is beyond our even our comprehension physically, Father. To, to start from a small group, but Father, with you, nothing is impossible. And this focus of this church, they're in unity, they're multiplying, they're magnified in the, in the community. Father, we would ask that chapter 7 will f- unwrap Stephen's ministry, his witness, shall we say, to the Sanhedrin. He's unfolding what they had indicted against him and it literally turns the tables on them. Father, may we be open with ourselves, may we not be calloused in the sense of the importance of the gospel. We pray for our nation that we would stop rejecting Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world. Father, you take these, these moments we have and use them to the very best for us. May you be blessed as you turn us to look just a little bit more like Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Master, the Messiah, in whose name we pray, through the Holy Spirit guiding us. Amen. So in chapter, let's, let's go back to chapter 6 for a moment. We set it up, and he's been indicted, if you will, for, for th- at least three or four things. Um, they've brought, and to set this up, in the synagogues, and it must have been five or six, we're also a pretty good chance that Paul, who is of Tarsus, who is, is from Sicilia, is one of those, na- those countries named that literally I, I am, I'm almost positive that he would have been in attendance listening to Stephen's words about Jesus Christ. And at this time, you talk about turning off and being rejected, rejecting Jesus Christ. That's where Paul, who was Saul at that time, was. But this would have been probably his beginning encounter of the gospel. And they can't, they just cannot debate this guy, the Stephen. In fact, I wonder if Paul wouldn't have been one of those. He was highly taught. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was taught by Gamaliel. You'll find even later in the book of Acts, we'll find as he's describing his biography of who he was. And you know what? No one, no one could stymie Stephen. He was full of wisdom. He was full of power. He's full of faith. He's full of the Holy Spirit. We wrote this on the board last week. The guy's invincible. Isn't he fun to know? I mean, he, he would be one. I, I would want to just be around the guy. That is, if you're a Christian. He was sort of a little bit in your face. He, he was spreading God's word. So they can't do it. So if you, if you can't attack the message, what do you do next? You kill the messenger. That's right. That's what we do. That's what happens. So they drag him off to the Supreme Court, the law of the land. And here's in verse 11, it says what the, oh, by the way, uh, they basically paid or had some instigate some false statements. That's never happened before either, right? Never. No, never. 
But verse 10 of chapter 6 says, And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake, Stephen. Then they sub- suborned or would have instigated an unrest underneath men which said, We have heard him, watch now, speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So there's two indictments. He has blasphemously spoke against God and against Moses. Those are two. Okay. Now what is blasphemy before we go any further? That's a word that gets thrown around once in a while. What is blasphemy? Excuse me? It would be untruth. And in, in, in what level? So what, what would be, it's even more than just untruth, it would be the sense of taking something that's very sacred, very highly esteemed, and make it worthless. Yeah, that's another word that would be is sacrilegious or blasphemous. It's to say, taking something that's very sacred, very sacred, and the way you treat it, the way you speak of it, you call it worthless. That's literally what blasphemy is. So they're accusing him of saying that He's making God and Moses worthless. But it's not only that. Keep going. And it says in verse 12, They stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council. They're dragging him down the street, if you will, to this Sanhedrin. And set up false witnesses. Now we've even got, we've went to another level. Which said, This man ceases not to speak blasphemous words against this holy... Oh, now we've got not only blasphemy against Moses and God, we have it against the temple and the law. Talk about a stacked deck. I mean, if you want to have a capital punishment offense, that should get it done. You have four areas of which he's been indicted to be blasphemous words against God, Moses, the law, and the temple. Good grief, what's left? Nothing. They've got him. Got him to rights. So he appears, and now in chapter 7, he's before the high priest. He says to him, Oh, one thing, just just in passing, uh, in verse 15, which I'm not sure what this looks like, but it says, as they all sat in the council looking steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. Whoa, I don't know what that looks like. But remember Moses? No, you don't remember. But when we read where Moses came to, yeah, if you remember Moses, you are old. At any rate, so Moses comes off the mountain, and, he, and he, it's just like his face is similar to the transfiguration of Jesus Christ, which we saw the, the disciples witness at. And I'm assuming that this would have been something that would have been very similar to that. I, I don't know any more than that, but it's interesting to me. Guess who's in that crowd is the Sadducees. They were the aristocratic upper crust gurus. You know what they didn't believe in? was angels. They didn't believe in angels. And here's this guy that looks like an I'm like, How do you know what an angel looks like if you don't believe in angels? Now, they didn't write it, but do you see what I'm saying? This was over the top, in your face. God was right there, right now. And the high priest says to him, are these things so? Now, do you feel like you're on the spot? Slip into Stephen Sandals for a moment. What would have that been like? You are, you've been dragged in there physically just I'm sure maimed, too. I mean, they just drug you in there, and now you're standing in front of this. People are going to decide your fate. You have been accused of blasphemous words against God, against Moses, against the temple, and against the law. And he asks you, are these things so? What are you going to say? Would you freeze up? You talk about unfreezing. This guy is in charge. Stephen right now is so exuberant, so over the top in the sense of zealous, godly words that are coming to him from being full of the Holy Spirit. And that's a promise that God made, that Jesus said, really. But don't worry about what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit will take care of that. If this isn't an absolute case, I don't know of one that is. And he said, how's he going to handle this? How would you handle this? What would you do? Uh, uh, 
Uh, now, some people would say, and this is the age in which we find ourselves, and the wokeness, if you will, is, uh, Your Honor, I'll, I'll never let it make it happen again. I, 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 I'm sorry for what I said. I, I didn't mean it. It wasn't really what I thought. But, but I'll, I'll, it, with, I, isn't that what's right? That's the world today. And that's a picture of the Laodicean church in chapter 3 of Revelation. It's the last church mentioned. And it's the church of what I call today the woke theology. They didn't stand for anything. And God called them lukewarm. They weren't hot. They weren't cold. He spit them out of his mouth. In fact, in verse 20 of the same chapter, in the section with, around that church, which we sometimes use as a, as a salvation passage, behold, Jesus is knocking at the door wanting to come in. And we like to use that as he's wanting, he's knocking at the sinner's heart to come in. That has nothing to do with the context of what's going on. This is the church of which Jesus Christ isn't even inside. He's knocking to get back in his church. Ah, and I'm afraid it's just like the church in America today. It's just like it. Whoa. Well, he takes it on head on. There's no backing up in him. There's no apologies. No, I didn't get it right. I'm sorry I misunderstood. There was none of that. I was excited and I just misrepresented. No. He says, first of all, he's going to make sure that they want to listen. He's looking for a way to capture their attention. And he says, men and brethren. Men and brethren, he starts in verse 2. Hearken, listen. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham. Oh, boy. Now look at that. Now, here's a guy that's been accused of blaspheming God and Moses. Uh, that's a great way to start. He uses the term God of glory, which is rarely, rarely used. But it's, it's the sense of God in its fullness, his consummate everything that he is in his awesomeness. That's the picture that is behind that. The glory. And, and think of it. Remember when God's glory was in the tabernacle? Moses is leading the children through the wilderness, and God gives them directions to make this tent, this place of dwelling, where guess who was inside? God's glory. Okay? It was, that's where he was. Now, if you go to, uh, I think it's first, in fact, you might write, I'll write this, I wrote it down. You can take it home and, where did I write it? Maybe I didn't write it. Oh, I did somewhere. Yeah, First Samuel chapter 4, verses 19 through 22. Just write that down. We're not going to go there. But literally what had happened, the Philistines had conquered the Israelites because of their disobedience. Imagine the Israelis uh, disobeying. I mean, that's a really novel concept, just like it is for us to disobey ever, right? It's the same thing. Never happens hardly, rarely, rarely. But at this point, the Philistines actually saw a great deal of power in the tabernacle, that Ark of the, ta of the Covenant, right? And they stole it. They took it. And upon coming back after the slaughter that ensued, Eli, who was the priest and also a judge, he was 98 years old, he fell over backwards, broke his neck, and died. Two of his sons were killed that same day. And his daughter-in-law, who was having a baby, happened to be on that very time, probably the labor pains were instigated from the intense moment, shall we say. And called that child's name Ichabod. And you know what Ichabod means? God's glory left. And on that day, literally, the glory of God left that place. Now, that's a big statement. In fact, you'll find even in Ezekiel that it also was in Solomon's temple, 
it departed. You will find in other parts that it will, it, it's been other places. It's actually been in the doorway and it's departed. It will show in Ezekiel chapter 43 that he will appear, reappear at the end in the millennial temple. Isn't that interesting? God's glory is all that he is, but from the sense of rejection, from disobedience, he will pull away. See, he was never after sacrifice. He's after what? Remember what he said to Saul? I want an obedient heart. I want, it. I want someone that trusts me, that wants me, that loves me. And, the re- and this is what this whole sermon is going to be about now, is the fact that he is going to indict the people in front of him from the very things that they are accusing him of. He's going to start talking about those that were sent as deliverers that they rejected. He's going to talk about the very fact of that they are, in fact, called people because of Abraham call, being called by God, that literally the glory of God was there. Let's keep going. When he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in, in Haran, and he said unto him, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred, and come into the land which I will show thee. Then came he out of the land of Chaldeans. Now stop for a moment. That verse we just roll through. We just roll right through it. So here you've got a guy that's living 900 miles away from where he's going to end up. Now, he doesn't know that. God didn't hand him a map. He says it'll take you about three months, three days, and uh, maybe a little bit longer, depending on how long you stay at the Super Sixes along the way. But be, be advised, this is the route you'll take. There was no route defined. Didn't tell him how long. Didn't tell him how far. Didn't tell him anything. He literally didn't tell him anything except get out of this country to one I'll show you. You just follow me. That's a day-by-day thing, isn't it? That would be by leading, being led one day at a time. Lord, is this where you want me? Is this where you want me tonight? Is this where you want me right now? Isn't that really how we should live our Christian life? Now, see, that was before there was law. Abram was saved. Well, let's go to, let's go to Romans chapter 4 for a moment. This is very important stuff. This is before the law. Um, there is literally one gospel. There's one Jesus. There's one Messiah. And we see it. Let's see, where did I tell you to go? lost my thought. Romans 4. Romans 4. Let's go there. Romans chapter 4. And take a look. How was, how was Abraham saved? There was no Jesus, right? Think of that. How far away was Jesus when, when Abram was on the earth? Woo! It was a long ways out. It was a long ways out. Now, what had happened, though, is God the Father had literally, in the Garden of Eden, with Adam and Eve, had already decided to tell them it was, there was a coating of mystery, but from the woman's seed will come a redeemer. Now, that's not a word that's used, but someone from her line that literally will crush Satan's head. That's spoken of in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. So it's already been unpacked, but let's take a look at Romans chapter 4 and verse 1. What shall we say then that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. In other words, if Abraham was really justified by who he was and what he did, and he had some really good qualities, didn't he? And there was a lot of things that weren't. This would be like today I hear, well, as long as my good stuff outweighs my bad, I'm okay. No, stop. If you have one thing, it says in James chapter 1, James chapter, where, where is that at? James 1, ah, you have to, now I got to find it. If you offend in one point of the law, you are guilty of all. Whoa, that is, I remember telling that to a, to a young missionary from a cult because he was bringing his game. It was all about works. It was all about, we've got to do our part. I said, Jesus Christ did it all. He did it all. 
well, no, we've got to do our part. And when I cracked open the word and I said, that verse right there, what are you going to do with that one? I read it to him. And he actually literally took two steps back because it blew his world apart. Because if you offend in one point, you're guilty of all. Now, I don't know how you read that, but it looks like you can't get there. Blew his mind. In fact, that's when he, he literally left. And I said, wait, you need to figure this out because this is really, really important. He says, I got to go. It was done. And I said, I'm going to be praying for you. I've never seen him since. I just hope that he dug in to find out what that really meant. That he didn't go back to someone that was preaching on truth that literally would just, again, just pacify and kick that can down the road. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about it. You just keep doing what you're doing. Go by works. That's, that's what this is about. Did, did Abraham actually, was he saved by works? Keep going. For what saith the Scripture? Ah, that's the bottom line. See, that's what it's all about. What does the Scripture say? It doesn't matter what our traditions are. It doesn't matter what we think or believe. What does the Scripture say? It says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now, to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Literally, Abraham was saved by none other, just the same as us, grace and faith. It was God's grace through his faith. If, what, if, what would have happened to Abraham wouldn't have believed him, wouldn't have believed God? Not so good. Wouldn't have been saved. It's always been about faith. It's always been about grace. It's always been about pointing forward to the coming Messiah. Back to Acts chapter 7. It said, He came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran, and from thence when his father was dead, he removed him into this land wherein you now dwell. And he gave him none inheritance in it. No, not so much as to set his foot on, yet he promised that he would give it to him for possession and to his seed after him, when as yet he had no child. Now again, think of the faith that Abram and Sarah literally would have been engaged in. So you follow through, you do what God says, you end up in the place that he wants you to be, and then nothing happens. Nothing happens. Did I mention nothing happens? No child, no land, no nothing. For 25 years, there's not one child. Not sands of the sea. I'd go with just one. And then, of course, you usually have a backup plan, and it was called Ishmael, right? Bad idea. Really bad idea. And the result of that today, think about consequences long-reaching. Today, the only reason there's an Arab-Israeli war, and they're never going to get over that, by the way, started with Ishmael and Isaac. That's where it started. It's the, it, and it's going on and will to the very end. Talk about consequences, right? But God is God. He's still in charge. God spake unto this wise, verse 6, that his seed should sojourn in a strange land, that they should bring them into bondage and entreat them evil for 400 years. It only gets worse. What do you say? What do you mean it gets worse? One thing is right here. This is really, really important. It's just like someone that says the second coming is never going to happen, right? We've had all of these years. Oh, no, no, it will happen because for God, one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. That promise that he made to Abraham is absolutely going to be 100% fulfilled just as he said. Now, the culmination of that won't even be until the end of the tribulation, which isn't even here yet. But Abram, after being in the land for a period of time, and then he has 
just play it for a moment. He has a son who is Isaac. Isaac gets married and he has two sons, one being Esau and Jacob, correct? Jacob's the one that goes on because Esau had wanted nothing to do with the birthright. He wanted nothing to do his responsibility as the older, as the older brother. So Jacob picks up the reins. This is, this is Abram's seed coming following through, right? So he has a lot of sons, right? His 12. These would be known as the patriarchs. This would be known as the fathers. This is now what, what he's going to start to do. You watch this start to play out. Is you're going to watch and see that the people that he's... Now, slip back into Stephen's shoes. He's in a room, Supreme Court, the high law of the land. He's going to start to turn the indictment from him to them. Because they're all about history. He's got them super involved. They want to see how he's going to tell this story, but he's going to take it to a new level. And he's going to list just as your fathers, he says, our fathers rejected a deliverer. You have done the same thing. Of the thing that you're indicting me of, you have blasphemy spoken of God and Moses and of Joseph. Watch this thing go. As we get into, let's see, what verse do we leave? Oh, verse 7, and the nation to whom they shall be in bondage while I judge, said God, and after that shall they come forth and serve me in this place. So let's, well, let's keep going. And he gave them the covenant of circumcision. So Abraham begat Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. Isaac begat Jacob. Jacob begat the 12 patriarchs. See, he calls them patriarchs, calls them the fathers. The patriarchs moved within, oh, stop, I can't go there yet. So we have the patriarchs that are, that are born now. These would be the sons of, the grandsons of Abram. And everyone is father, that's right, that's the father of the Jews. So now we have the patriarchs. These are, these are men that they looked up to. These are the ones. Now, how long were they in Egypt? 400. And it depends on where you're looking at it. It could be 430 to 400 years. And it depends on what starting points you're at. Not, there's not, a, not a, a contradiction there. But at any rate, just think of that. 400 years from when they entered the land of Egypt. So all of the patriarchs literally died in Egypt. I don't know if you ever thought about that. All of them. They're dead in Egypt. They aren't even back to the homeland, shall we say. Now, we're convinced, or I'm convinced, that those that were buried there in, the, in Egypt would have been taken back with the families when they went back to the land of Israel. Okay? But the point of the matter, think of 400 years. America is not 400 years old. Right? So let's, go, let's just go 2,000 because I'm... 1,600 to 2,000 is 400 years. That same period of time, these Israelites were in a foreign land under the Egyptians. Now, the first part went pretty easy because there was someone that God had raised up as a deliverer. And his name was Joseph. Now, the one thing that he's going to start doing, Stephen, see, there's, I'm telling you the story, but Stephen's the one narrating, bringing this all to, to place and really starting to put the indictment back on these people in front of them. He said, the patriarchs all rejected Joseph. They sold him into slavery. And, and again, I don't know if I would have been 15, 16 years old that I would have come to my dad and my brothers and said, hey, dad and mom, I had this dream last night, and you guys all bowed down to me. I'm going to save that. <laughs> That's probably not going to go well. But Joseph was this... There's not one thing bad spoken of of Joseph and of Daniel. There's the two individuals in the scripture. Now, I'm not saying they're sinless, but nothing negative is ever spoken about those two men. And Joseph just lays it out there, right? I don't know. I just dreamed this dream. And was he right? A hundred percent right. It wasn't then because he was severely rejected. 
The brothers not only just wanted anything to do with him, they sold him into slavery. Have you ever had a brother like that? Whoa, making, this is crazy. Total reject, complete rejection. In fact, it says that in verse 9. The patriarchs moved with envy, sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him. Did you see that? Now, he separated the sense of the patriarchs and God's wishes. But God was with him. But God. Aren't you happy for the but gods in Scripture? We were dead in trespasses and sin. But God. Right? I'm glad that's there. He took care of it. He opened away and delivered him out of all of his afflictions. Verse 10, gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. Now, that verse there, there is so much packed because if you take Joseph's life, there's a whole lot of days it didn't look like God was helping in any way, shape, or form. You've done the right thing, and, and I'm, now I'm in Egypt and I'm a slave. Then I'm in this place that I'm really doing a good job. I'm kind of moved up. I mean, I'm in Potiphar's house and things are going well. I know how he likes stuff put and I put it this way and I do this and clean it up. Things are good. Unfortunately, Potiphar's wife is taking interest in me more and more and more and more, right? And he resists to the point of he literally does what is said in the Bible to flee fornication. He split, left his coat, whatever, it's gone. She's clawing at him and leaves the coat. What has he done wrong so far? Nothing. He's spot on. And Mr. Potiphar comes home. Mrs. Potiphar has a story to tell. And it was actually miraculous that he probably wasn't put to death. But I suspect, I suspicion, if you, I can't go there right now, but he's called the captain of the guard. I actually think that Potiphar knew his wife better than she thought he did. Because it seems that he took him and put him actually in the own place that he had control over. Okay? Now, you know, is it a good place? No, it's, of course it's not a good place. You're in jail for doing something you didn't do. Right? I mean, it's right. You did the right thing. How, is, does that resonate with anyone here? Yeah. And then it gets worse. Here come these two clowns from the, from the royal court, and they've got dreams. And Joseph's good at dreams. And he tells the two dreams, and one of them, he said, you're going to be restored. And the other one, sorry, buddy, but it's, it's over. But the, to you that's going to go back into the court, would you remember me? Remember me in this place? Two years went by. Two, two years went by. Two years went by in prison, doing the right thing, doing the right th- And it's almost there's a, just a shade of Joseph saying, oh, my goodness, how is this going to work out? Have you had, had your life had moments like that? How is this going to work out when God's in charge of your life? It's all good. So pretty soon, here comes Pharaoh. He's got this dream, and nobody can solve it. Nobody can cure it. Nobody can talk about it. Nobody knows anything about it. Oh, I know a guy, right? I know a guy. He's in prison. Poof. And you talk about changing like any other day. He starts out in prison, and by the end of the day, he is literally prime minister. You can't make that up, right? And again, not about self. Joseph is all about others. He's all about doing the right thing all the time. And he becomes prime minister. Now, this is seen as, without a question, you have, to, you have to analyze this as this is someone that God has specifically designed as a deliverer for literally the whole world, honestly, but particularly for the Israelites. And he was rejected the first time. Joseph, he was rejected by his brother. He sold out. Does that sound like somebody else? Sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? That's his point. 
Why is he picking on Joseph as the patriarchs? Because the ones that they would have called their fathers literally rejected the one that God had set as a deliverer. Let's keep going. Now, there was, there was a dearth or a drought, verse 11, over the whole land of Egypt and Canaan, and great affliction, and our fathers, notice that, our fathers found no sustenance. These are the ones that are our fathers. But when Jacob heard that there was corn in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first. And at the second time, Joseph was made known to his, the second time, he was made known to his brethren. Joseph's kindred was made known unto Pharaoh. Then sent Joseph, called his father Jacob to him, and all his kindred, threescore and fifteen souls. Seventy-five members would have come down there. Now, there's another passage in Genesis that says there's seventy. But in Chronicles, the ones that had counted seventy-five were the ones that included literally uh, Joseph's uh, family in Egypt. If you put them all together, then there's seventy-five. Now, think of that. That's where this thing started in Egypt. And 400 years later, it's probably approaching two million God is growing the nation away from the nation, if you will. Who was the deliverer? Joseph. Joseph was their deliverer. Did they reject him or did they accept him? They rejected him. So who, literally, let's see, put it back on them. Who in this indictment now is being indicted? The Sanhedrin. For literally their fathers, of which they are sons, have rejected God's deliverer. Hmm. This isn't going well. For the home team. It looks like he doesn't blaspheme God. In fact, he's all about him. He's actually even showing us that our fathers rejected a deliverer. Then sent Joseph, verse 14, call, I'm sorry, verse 15. So Jacob went down to Egypt and died, he and our fathers. All of the patriarchs died in Egypt. And were carried into Shechem and laid in the sepulcher that Abraham bought for a sum of money of the sons of Emar, the father of Shechem. Now, see, that's the only thing that Abram ever owned in Israel was a piece of property that he bought at Shechem to bury his loved ones. Is God working slow here? Is that what it seems? Have you ever? Where's God? You, I know you've asked that question. Where is God? He's working quietly. When the time of the promise drew near, which God had sworn to Abram, see that, see that promise again? 400 years after, even more than 400 and swore in Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt, till another king arose, which knew not Joseph. Now that sounds bad. The first Pharaoh that was in charge when Joseph had accomplished the, un, I mean, the unaccomplishable, I mean, it was a feat that was remarkable. The entire earth was surrounded with a drought, and Egypt and the plan that Joseph had put in place literally saved the planet. And you know, that Pharaoh thought a lot of Joseph, a lot. Because he's fact, he says, why don't you take your family? You just, that's yours. The land of Goshen, that's yours. You can, you can have it and take care of it. It's yours. Now we've moved from that to someone, who's Joseph? You guys keep talking about Joseph and these foreigners, right? And pretty soon there's someone, you know, they're, they're going to be a pain in the neck over there. They just keep multiplying and we're kind of responsible for them. We need to be using them. They need to be working for us. And then it goes to the level, finally it gets to the of literally out and out slavery. How would you like to go out in the morning and you got to make bricks, but you can't? They used to give you straw. They used to give you some, some ingredients. Now you got to go find your own. But you have to have the same quota. That sounds like a day that's just awesome. That's worse than banking even, isn't it? Yeah. That's almost worse than anything. And then it even gets worse. And you got people being beaten. And even before that, they start to stop the people from multiplying. 
And you find in the first chapter of Exodus that they were killing babies. Killing babies. Now that's about as low as it gets. They're killing your offspring. You have one day of life in front of you with no future whatsoever. Where is God? Where is God? He's preparing another deliverer, which we'll find out they rejected too. Let's keep going. Verse 19. The same dealt subtly with our kindred, and evil entreated our fathers so that they cast out their young children to the end they might not live. In which time Moses was born, and was exceeding fair, and nourished up in his father's house for three months. And when he was cast out, Pharaoh's daughter took him up and nourished him for her own son. And Moses, we got to stop there for a moment. Again, you, you just watch how God worked that deal out. I mean, so here's this young infant, Moses, and he's actually for three months, they're hiding him in their home, right? And then they look, they look at one another, on a, on a, this, it's not going to work. We've got to do something different. So the day, how would you like to be the mom or the dad? And you have this little basket, right? A little three-month-old. Are you right? Are you guys there? Get, get right there. There's a lot of emotion here. And they put this three-month-old child in a basket floating in the river. And his older sister is watching from a distance. I'm not sure what she's going to do, but she's watching. And, of course, God, in his providence, Pharaoh's daughter, whatever her name was, huh, well, look at here. It's a Wednesday. It's a great day for a bath in the river. I'm going to go out and just go on the river. And I don't know whatever you do with that, right? And then, what's that over there? What is that? What's a basket? What's in the basket? And I'm sure at this point, Moses is making his life story on a loud basis, right? (laughs) How would you like to be a three-month-old laying in a basket floating in the river for some period of time? This isn't going to work out for anybody, right? And, And it says that Pharaoh's daughter was immediately... There's a sense of love. Or, yeah, she, she wanted that child, right? She said, it must be one of the, you know, it doesn't, two plus two is equal to four. If you can see if they were going to kill him, what are you going to do? You know, try something, anything. She said, this must be one of the Hebrews' children. So she said, well, for goodness sakes, what are we going to do with him? And talk about a bright teenage young girl. Hello, Mrs. Pharaoh's daughter. Can I help you in any way, shape, or form? Um, would you be able to find a nursemaid for this child? I could do that. Mom! <laughs> I'm convinced that mom just moved on into the palace. Because that's where, you know, you're not going to let that baby out of her sight. This is Pharaoh's daughter's baby now, who has the mother of the baby caring for the... Oh, my goodness. Small beginnings, right? And you know who this was? This, this is the beginning of another deliverer. It's Moses. This is another deliverer. Now, you look, keep reading now. And he's trained in Pharaoh's house, of course. He was learned of all the wisdom of the Egyptians, was mighty in words and in deeds. And when he was full 40 years old, it came to his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. He always knew where he came from. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian. For he supposed his brethren would have understood how that by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. Now, we'll look at that. Oftentimes, we'll say that Moses got ahead of God. And to a certain degree, that's true. 
But at the same point, if you think about what it could have been different. Now, Moses didn't do anything wrong in the sense there was already an Egyptian that was overplaying who he was and was mistreating and had done something very wrong against this fellow brethren, Israel, Israelite of Moses's. And Mo, um, if you don't think Moses was a stout lad at 40 years of age and all of the training he had, he was buff. I'm convinced he was probably even leading the military. He just took this guy out. And he supposed that they would have saw that God had him as a deliverer. Now, what if all of the Israelites would have got behind Moses right now, right now? 40 years would have been saved. 40 years would have been saved. Why is it this 40-year gig, right? You mess up and you walk around the river for 40 years, and 40 years they had to be, you know what? They remained slaves for another 40 years. Think of that. Because they did not see Moses as a deliverer. Who rejected him? The people he's talking to in that chamber, their fathers rejected Moses, another deliverer. Do you see what Stephen is doing? It's hard to even stay. We've got two conversations going because I'm trying to make as vivid as I can the illustration that Stephen is laying out. But from the illustration that Stephen's laying out, he is totally indicting and making guilty those that he's standing before. You talk about me rejecting Moses. Your fathers rejected Moses. He was God's deliverer. He came from a high place to a low place. Now that sounds like someone else. The first time you rejected Joseph, the first time you rejected Moses, the second time Joseph literally took over, and the second time Moses, we'll find out in a moment, was received by you. Does that not sound like Jesus? You rejected him the first time. The second time in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, it's going to say, you will see the one that you pierced. See, the Jews are not put aside. That's what's so amazing to me is the time in which God is working. Chapter 11 of Romans says he's not throwing them aside at all. At the very end, at the end of the tribulation, that's the time, those seven years that he's going to work exclusively with the Jews. Now, Gentiles can be saved, yes. Well, if you talk about a tough time to get saved. Someone tells you, I'll just wait till after the rapture, then I know that's really real, and then I'll get saved in the tribulation. No, you won't. No, you won't. If you can't stand up for Jesus now, if you can't receive what everyone else is rejecting, you will absolutely easily reject, because there's a delusion that will be bought. Do you know the delusions that are even sold in our country today? Under, under the, it's crazy, isn't it? The stuff that people will believe, apart from truth. But at the very end, those Jews will literally see him. As he's coming, they will see him for who he is, and they will, they will mourn over the one they've pierced. That would be Jesus Christ, the second time he comes. Do you see the parallels here? This guy is a masterful preacher. How long has he been saved? I can't believe any more than two or three months. Talk about open the Old Testament and look at it. Now, someone that says, we don't need the Old Testament today. We just need the New Testament. No, stop that for a moment. You'll never understand the New Testament. And you'll unfold and unwrap the Old Testament, seeing who God really is and what he demands and who is the only way that you can literally be saved is through Jesus. The New Testament means nothing without the Old Testament. I shouldn't have said it that way. The, old, the New Testament is vague without understanding the, the Old Testament. Let's keep going. The next day, verse 26, Moses, he showed himself unto them as they strove and had, would have set them at one another, saying, one again, saying, Sirs, you are brethren. Why do you wrong one another to one another? Let's stop for a moment. The first day was protecting them. Now he's literally there to make peace among them. Guys, come on, what are you fighting about? Right? Doesn't that sound good? Doesn't that sound like a deliverer? Now watch. This doesn't go well. But he that did his neighbor wrong, thrust, in other words, we have someone that definitely had done something wrong to the, to the other one. 
thrust him away. Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Will you kill me too, as you did the Egyptian yesterday? Ooh, time to leave town. And it says he fled. He took off. Why wouldn't you, right? That wouldn't work out well. I talked about the newspapers the next morning. Pharaoh's son kills fellow Egyptian to save a, a, a slave. That wouldn't go well. They had turned the corner. And you look at this. Look at this now. See, one guy that rejected Moses literally cost that nation another 40 years of slavery. And that was the mindset of all of them because nobody overpowered that, right? They rejected Moses. Then fled Moses at the saying, and it was a stranger in the land of Midian, where he begat two sons. And when 40 years were expired, there appeared to him 40 years. Boom. Where were you 40 years ago? I was a lot younger. <laughs> just, I mean, we just, 40 years ago, right? Poof, poof. Mo Moses is, all of a sudden, he's 80. He's 40, now he's 80. There appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai an angel of the Lord in a flame of a fire in a bush. And Moses saw it, and he wondered at the sight. And as he drew near to behold it, the voice of the Lord came unto him, saying, I am the God of thy fathers. Ooh, that's straight on. Listen, Sanhedrin. I am the God of thy fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Then Moses trembled and durst not behold. Then said the Lord to him, Put off thy shoes from thy place, for the place where thou standest is holy ground. I have seen and I have seen the affliction of my people, which is in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and am come down to deliver them. Now, and now come, I will send you into Egypt. Now watch, verse 35. This Moses, whom they refused, saying... Who made thee a ruler and a judge? The same did God send to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel which appeared to him in the bush. See that Moses that you got your fathers rejected? That's the one God used to deliver. But you rejected him. Your fathers rejected him. He brought them out after that. He had showed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and the Red Sea and the wilderness for 40 years. This is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me him shall you hear. Now that passage is in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. It was spoken by Moses. Who is he literally talking about? There's going to be someone rising up out of this people in the future that will deliver you. Who is he speaking of? And you know what? There wouldn't have been one person in that Sanhedrin that wouldn't have known what that passage meant. Moses was speaking of the Messiah. He has got them right to the point of where Moses, whom your fathers rejected, spoke when they accepted him as a prophet that would be coming out of the very people that would be like you, which would be the Messiah. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him in the Mount Sinai and with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us, the giving of the law, to whom our fathers would not obey. Oh, my goodness. What has he said? He said, you guys do not, you've blasphemed God by not obeying him. You have literally disobeyed the God in the sense of a deliverer in Joseph and Moses. And now it says that you didn't obey the oracles or the law itself. He has got these guys on trial at this point. Oh, my goodness. Think of the giving of the Ten Commandments. Wow, talk about some good stuff going on for Moses. He's up in the hill, right? He's up, you know, like, like what's the name of that? Mount Moriah, right? He's at the top of the hill with God. <laughs> and God has, chiseled, has written out these ten laws, these ten commandments, these oracles of laws, it says in our passage. 
And meanwhile, down at the bottom of the hill, they have got a problem, don't they? Where's Moses? Ah, we don't know where he's at. Aaron, let's, let's do something here. Now, you know, you, don't you have to think? Now, you have to think about if you're in one place for 400 years, there's probably customs and traditions of which you would have been acquainted with, whether you would partook of them or not, but you'd be acquainted with them. Well, if you do a little digging, the Greek word that's there actually for the calf is bull. It's a bull. Well, guess what? The Egyptians worshipped two bulls. One was the reincarnation of Osiris, which was the infant-like Jesus type that the Egyptians... And then the other one would have been the reincarnation of the sun god. Okay? So they are literally from Egypt dragging all of these things back, and they're saying, let's just make something like we have back home. Let's, let's worship that. <laughs> what are you thinking? I still, to me, I'm going to tell you, if, if you watch the Red Sea part... And you're right up against, and by the way, this is where God really gets to be a bigger God. I mean, no kidding. If the trial is big, bad, and ugly, and it gets uglier and, and closer, it's amazing that when you are delivered, and I'm going to use that word, he uses, did you see Stephen use that word deliver, 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 deliver? It's the same for us. The closer and the bigger that problem is to you, the bigger God gets when he gets you through it. These guys were pressed against the Red Sea. I mean, it says, oh, I wish we were back in Egypt and they wouldn't be hunting us down and they wouldn't be killing us. We only would have just stayed there, right? That's what they said. And Moses said, stop it. And Moses says, God, what do you want us to do? That's a great question. What do you want us to do right now? He says, just go ahead and hit the water and poof, we have walls of water. Um, and I'm going to bring a wind so you don't have to walk in the mud. It's going to be dry. No irrigation boots needed. It's crazy. And they walk across. Dun, 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 dun. And the Egyptians are blown away. They see it from a distance. What? What is going on? We got these guys trapped and there's like a wall. of What? This can't be. Well, that's fine. We'll just go right after them. Poof, down comes the water. Egyptians are dead. And you go through that and you want to worship a stupid bull calf? Are you kidding me? Well, if the truth be known, it's probably not a lot different when God says, when you're worshiping money in your wallet, worshiping a piece of property, worshiping anything other than God. Isn't it about the same? So Moses disappears and you can tell the the impact that that man had made. He's 80 years old. He's been through a lot of stuff. He's been rejected by them the first time. He comes the second time, and then he leads them out through the 10 plagues that God has prepared. And he leaves for a little bit of time, and they're right back to worshiping idols. In fact, that's something that, it, that God's got to beat out of them. It, now, after the, after the 70 years of captivity in Babylon, which was coming, after that, they've never worshiped idols. They don't worship idols anymore finally got that one right. Whew, we got that one. But isn't it easy to worship anything other than God? It's easy. It's easy for us. What verse are we in? Keep moving. Yeah, let's go to 39. Here we go. Oh, to whom our fathers would not obey. You, your fathers, you are sons of the fathers that wouldn't obey the laws, the law. You, you want me, you say, I'm blaspheming? It says they thrust him from it, and in their hearts turned back again into Egypt. 
That's exactly what they saying unto Aaron, make us gods to go before us. For as this Moses, which brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know where he's at. What's become of him? And they made a calf in those days. And that word is bull in the Greek. And offered sacrifice unto the idol and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. This has gone wrong, hasn't it? This has just gone completely. I, I, you know, at God, if I was, it's fortunate I'm not God for everyone, including myself. But I would just say, that's enough. I've, I've had enough. I just can't take you people anymore, right? I cannot do this anymore. And this was actually the first time of idol worship after leaving Egypt. This event right here. And it just continues to escalate until God takes them in the Babylonian cap- captivity and gets it out of their system. And look what God does. Now, in Romans, stop, before you go to verse 42, before you read it, in Romans chapter 1, it says, like, on three different times, God gave them over. Now, he's talking to a Gentile audience. He's gave them over to a reprobate mind. He's given them over to their own lusts. He's given them over, right? Which I think is right now where America and the world is at. We've rejected God for so long that God said, fine, go ahead. Go ahead. You've kicked me out of schools. You've literally almost kicked me out of churches because there's no truth there. I want you to go ahead and enjoy yourself. Just go for it. That's what Romans 1 is all about. We're under his judgment by letting us do what we do. You can't get to a level of transgenderism without being turned over to your own reprobate mind. That is so stupid, I can't come up with anything else. It's a mental illness, and we're all supposed to adhere to it. This is craziness. But that's what happens when you're turned over to your own mind. But look what God does here. He actually literally gives the the Israelites over too. He says, then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven. He said, go ahead. That is written in the book of the prophets. O you house of Israel, have you offered to me slain beasts and sacrifices by the space of 40 years in the wilderness? No, you weren't sacrificing to me. It It was your past. You were just giving it to the, probably this bull in your mind again. Yea, you took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of the god Remphan, figures which you made to worship them, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. Exactly. Our fathers had the tabernacle of the witness in the wilderness, as he had appointed, speaking unto Moses that he should make it according to the fashion that he had seen, which also our, our fathers that came after brought in with Jesus in the possession of the Gentiles, whom God drove out before the face of our fathers in the days of David. Now he's talking about the temple. I was in that temple. I gave Moses directions. You didn't follow it either. You know what you have right now? You have a man that's standing in here in a matter of a very short time. Has Those 71 people are starting to feel the pressure. They're starting to, they're starting to look down. Or, well, I wish this guy would shut up. I mean, it's getting bad, right? Why did he ask him to defend himself? This guy is like over the top. He's basically indicted them on blasphemy of God, of Moses. Joseph, besides, he's added that as a deliverer. The temple, the law. Now watch. Brings it to a conclusion pretty soon. Found favor before God, verse 46, desired to find a tabernacle for the God of Jacob. That David. David wanted to build a tabernacle. But Solomon built him a house. Howbeit the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, as saith the prophet. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will you build me, saith the Lord? Of what place and what is the place of my rest? Hath not my hand made all of these things? Um, what, what house is going to hold me? As they were sitting in that temple, you know, that one we've had up here on the wall for countless weeks. Literally, that place, are you thinking that that would hold me? Solomon's temple is gone. Uh, actually, the Ark of the Covenant and the tent that Moses built is gone. Solomon's temple is gone. Zerubbabel's temple is gone. And this one here in just a few, like 40 more years, 35 years, it will be gone too. 
You think you're going to hold me in a building? No, I'm trying to reach your heart. And look what he says next. This is the most cutting thing he could have possibly said. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do you. Whoa. <laughs> Who's on trial? Here's this man. I, I, I tell you what, I... I you can see he's pretty bold, right? There is no lack of courage. There's no lack of letting the truth just out there. But he has literally indicted this whole group of men by the very thing that they said he was guilty of. Stiff neck. What does stiff neck mean? That's you know, bad day at work and you can't move your neck? Uh, what does that mean? Excuse me? Rebellious. It was almost like Saul. Remember he should have what, what God had asked him to do through the, uh, through the prophet Samuel? He refused to do. That's stiff-necked. I'm not going to do that. And, you know, that's, there's going to be hell is full of a lot of stiff-necked, a lot of stiff-necks. And it's got nothing to do with physical malady. It's the fact, no, no, I won't do that. It's stiff. You know, you stiffen up. Stiff-necked. But then he says, uncircumcised in heart. That would have grabbed them and literally launched an arrow right through them. They knew circumcision from the sense of physicality. But literally the whole problem is a heart issue. Their heart was so far from God right now. It was all about everything other than God. Even these people sitting right in front of them, plus all the fathers. Uh, think of this for a moment. Uh, so they're, they're thinking about going in the land of Canaan. They've marched around another 40 years. It's amazing, 40 years. They're just 40 years. You go through the book of Judges. No, they obey God, and then they disobey God. And for 40 years, they wander around doing what's best in their own minds, right? Sounds like a lot like what we're doing today. 40 years go by. And another 40 years go by. A little more mess, a little more mess, a little more mess. Uncircumcised in heart. Their hearts were so far from God. So far from God. Missed the deliverers. Which of the prophets, verse 52, had not your fathers persecuted? Now, name me one that they didn't do something to. Jeremiah, Isaiah. They cut him in half. Joseph, they sold in. You can, you know, again, I'm talking about deliverers. People are speaking the truth. Joseph, they rejected him first time. Moses, they rejected him the first time. You go on, right? He is, he is laying it out. And they have slain them, which showed before of the coming of the just one, the coming of Messiah, of whom you have now the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. Now, so far, they have listened. And now he has hit them right where, remember the crowd that Peter spoke to the day of Pentecost? They were at this level and they said, men, brethren, what should we do? What should we do? I mean, they have been cut to the heart. They were pricked in the heart, it says. What should we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized. Confess your sins. These men right now are on fire in the wrong way. They are livid, livid, livid with this man that's standing in front of them that obviously is full of the Holy Spirit, speaking about things that they've rejected, just like their fathers did. Who is the delivery speaking of now? Is Jesus Christ, the Messiah. They killed him. They are his murderer. And they rejected him and killed him the first time. When they heard these things, verse 54, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. Whoa. <laughs> What's going to happen next? 
they're going to kill him. Yep. We're going to come back next week and look at that because there's too much for us to finish today. But if that's not God giving words into a man, it's amazing to me what he did in those few words. He's turned it around. You know who's not on trial now? He's not on trial. He is not on trial. That Sanhedrin has been placed in the box, and they said, you know what? Just like your fathers, just like our fathers, he said, we're part of it. You've rejected every deliverer that God has raised up. You've rejected every prophet that he has sent to you to tell you the truth. You have rejected every sense of truth. You have rejected, rejected, rejected. You know, today's Father's Day. And what a great day to honor our fathers, those that have risen to the task, that have done what... And again, there's no perfect father. Oh, yes, there is. There's one, God the Father. But I look at, I, I think of people that come in my life that didn't either know a father or didn't have a father that loved God. That's a tough, that's a tough row. When you talk about a father to them, then is something they really can't get the grip on a, a good father, right? I'm looking at this today, and I don't know if you've noticed, and it's amazing we're here on this day. But numerous times, Stephen said, your, our fathers or your fathers rejected. Fathers rejected. Fathers rejected. I'm here to say that that's what's wrong with our world today, is the spiritual leader as God has laid out a family is the father. The father. And when the father rejects God, when the father rejects the Bible, when the father rejects prayer, when the father rejects what God has given, we're headed for trouble. And trouble has found us. Just like the Israelites had found trouble. Their fathers rejected a deliverer. The fathers of America, a good share of them, are rejecting Jesus Christ. We need to pray for them. But the other one is, is the fathers that are adhering to God's word. The fathers that are listening. The fathers that are not rejecting. That we raise them up in prayer to stay steadfast. To be Stephen's. Stephen's about to lose his life. And he hasn't been a Christian very long. But you talk about courageous. And our fathers need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Let God be God. Let it play itself out. My prayer is that fathers across this land stop rejecting God's word. My prayer is that the fathers across this land stop rejecting the God that this nation was built on. That they would return to the creator God that allowed us to be the land of the living and of the brave. Free and brave. Freedom is not free. Jesus Christ knows that. He bought our freedom from sin, which cost everything that he was. His blood bought my purchase, or purchased my freedom. There's men and women that are in cemeteries all across this land that have been killed in wars, skirmishes, to fight for freedom. May we return to the God of our fathers. These men here, I don't know how many of them, did they live the rest of their life after this event? You know, this is, uh, to being in the Sanhedrin and to be witnessed, like this is the third time in a very short time. Peter, two times, standing in front of them. And they said, you ought not to, to, to witness the name of that, of that, 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 that guy. 
They couldn't even say his name. And here they are again, getting it from Stephen. I mean, loaded with full bore, double shotgun. I mean, this is like a 10 gauge, boom, right? And they are in the room and they are guilty. And what did they do? Rejected. Let's pray for our nation this week. Let's pray for the fathers of this nation. We would stand. And, and by the way, fathers are not perfect. We, know, we all know that. But there's some fathers that was late in life before they got saved. You can't undo what's been done. That's not my point. My point is where you are right today, if you know Jesus Christ, then act like a father to every person that you are around to make them better. Explore, I, I, I'm sorry, witness about Jesus Christ and about the word of God to everyone that you come in contact with. And there's some fathers just need a kick in the butt. They know it's right and they don't get it done. And you're smiling because you know something. So I'm not going to tell you, go kick him in the butt. Don't do that. Have God kick him in the butt because he knows how to do it, right? This world right now is pretty messed up. That word is just as true, just as powerful, just as amazing. And God is just as much as Mary said to the angel, how can this be possible, myself being a virgin, and you're telling me I'm going to have a child? Remember the response. With God, nothing is impossible. That's my prayer for America. Are we in the last days? Absolutely. Actually, it started right there where the church began. That was the beginning of the last days after Jesus Christ was crucified and on the cross. That was the beginning of the last days. We're getting closer all of the time. Have you ever seen technology dragging us closer to the brink, literally? of what Revelation is asking, or will be done, will be accomplished. The mark of the beast, you can get there in multiple ways, multiple ways. One world government, multiple ways. The Antichrist, how many do you want? There will be one that will stand out above all of them. He's the one that's going to be able to solve all the world's problems. We're on the brink. We're on the brink. Will we reject God's word, or will we adhere to it? Will we accept it or reject it? Let's pray. Father God, wow, what a testimony from Stephen. They ask him if those things are so. Was he actually blaspheming against God and Moses and the law and the temple? In one chapter, he literally indicted them. They were all guilty in that room. With the opportunity, literally, to repent. You know, Stephen, you're right. I failed. My father's failed. We've failed as a nation. We have kicked God out. But that wasn't the general consensus. Did anyone in that room? I don't know. But Father, your message of grace, just like it was to Abram, your message of grace to every single person that has reached out is the same. Saved by faith. Father, I do pray for our nation. We lift our fathers up today all across this land. I would ask you to instill within them the courage and the tenacity to follow you every step of the way. There are fathers today that are distracted. There's too many other things going on, too many decisions that seem to be over and around and above. Father, may they see the priorities. Surround them with love, Father, that they would know that you are God, that you can be trusted, 
that you are their Savior. Father, there are those that don't even know about you, fathers that don't even know you today. There are men, a high percentage of men in prison today, that didn't even know their father. Those are the ones, Father, that don't know what a father is. Father, would you bring someone into their life to make you more clear, more visible, that they would understand to a small degree who you are. Father, I pray for the families across the world, the unit, family unit that continues to be decimated, destroyed, that you would heal the family. And Father, that the spiritual condition of our land falls right in the middle of our fathers and still in them a love for the Word of God. Father, we're all less than perfect. Jesus was the only one. But He's the one that purchased what was necessary for us to be your sons. And Father, the longer that I'm a Christian, the longer that I see who you are, the smarter you are. Go with us in everything that we do and what we say in our journeys in life, that we would be impactful, not because of who we are, but because of whose we are. We trust ourselves to you as you make us more like Jesus, our Savior, our guide, our Creator. In Jesus' name.